Well, I'm hoping that we have some uh, better better luck than than last time. I had uh, uh, taught a lesson on this uh, topic. I know that um, uh, I this time I had an, an elder uh, from another congregation that was interested in in hearing a sermon on this uh, topic, and so uh, I was uh, um, I told them that uh, this was recorded. Uh, but uh, last time. Uh, the uh, sermon went on, and uh, somehow it didn't get recorded. So I'm uh, I'm hoping that this one uh, does just fine. Uh, I know that I normally don't use PowerPoint, but I believe that uh, given the topic, that I know that sometimes when I teach this subject, people think that uh, well, the preacher's just making up words now, you know, or he's just saying what he wants to say. I want to show you these verses that go along with this as well as uh, some of what uh, commentators would say on the subject. And so uh, I know that I've preached on this topic a few times already since I've been here, uh, but I wanted to change it up a little bit, show you the truth, and yet not give you a regurgitation of another sermon that I had done. So uh, I, uh, I hope that uh, you find uh, enough of a difference here uh, that you can uh, uh, stay engaged. Let's start off with looking at Joshua. Chapter 1 and verse 8 it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now I want to start off with that verse because this verse shows a few different things, and that is that we need to, uh, first of all, we need to follow the law of God. Now, when we consider uh, the law, the, the law of God has changed in the different dispensations that have gone on. And it's been necessary. We know that when we look at the book of Hebrews, uh, that we see that there is, uh, when there's a change in the priesthood, uh, or when there's a change in the law, there's a necessitates a change in the priesthood. And so there are some differences and we know that. We know that if, when you go over to Galatians chapter 3, that the old law was to bring us to Christ. And, uh, and so we get that. But when it comes down to it, uh, there are some differences in the law, right? Uh, the law changed during those dispensations. But there are certain things that do not change, right? And when we think about things that do not change, things that do not change are things like moral law. Moral law does not change. Why is that? Well, you know, you think about this throughout time. There are morals that we know that they just are going to be standard throughout time, uh, like lying. Lying has always been wrong. It's a moral law. Uh, killing. Killing has always been wrong. Why? That's a moral law. Stealing. Stealing has always been wrong. That is also a moral law. The same thing goes on with this topic today of modesty. It is a part of the moral law. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable 
and perfect will of God. So what are we to do? We are to transform ourselves. We are not to be fashioned uh, according to this world. We are supposed to be different. And really, in all actuality, this is a pretty good um, uh, almost definition of sanctification, being set apart for a holy purpose. We're not to be like the world, but we are to be different from the world. So let's get down to the, the verse that brings us uh, to this entire topic, and that is 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9. Now, I want to make mention of this while uh, this specifically points out women. The entirety of this is not just for women. While this is pointed out specifically in this verse, we're going to talk about men and women. The, the moral law of this goes throughout uh, both men and women. It's not just a, a uh, man or a woman thing, but it is both. But in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9, it says, In like manner that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness, and sobriety, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly raiment. And so here's the question. The question is, has God defined what is modest? And the answer to that, honestly, from the beginning, has to be what? It has to be yes. Now, why does it have to be yes? Well, why would God give a command and then not explain how to obey that command? That is the same thing that we talk about with the religious world, isn't it? You know, somebody will say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter how we worship. Is that true? No, 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 no. It matters. It does matter, doesn't it? John 4, verse 24, God is spirit. They that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we have to have the right attitude. We do it the right way. We go to the scriptures to find out how to do that. Now, there's a couple of things here that uh, we need to understand first and foremost. It says that the women adorn themselves. Uh, what does that mean? We don't use that word a whole lot. Adorn, uh, the Greek word means to arrange. Uh, and so to arrange oneself. So the women are to arrange themselves in modest apparel. Well, then what does that word mean? Now, we could go to a, a few different things, but I, I do believe that uh, uh, Webster's Dictionary gives us a good idea of what this means in the uh, original text, but um, uh, they have a pretty good, um, uh, I guess, summary of this, and it is observing the proprieties of sex, chaste, and decent. So a person must be decent. And what does this what does this entail? Does the Bible have anything else to describe in this? Now, uh, here are the the things that we're going to go through and and talk about some of the things that we we normally talk about when we come to this subject. And then I want to add some things here uh, to this thought process. But the first thing is you go back all the way, all the way back to the beginning. And you had Adam and Eve, and you know what happens in Genesis 3. If you look in your Bibles, Genesis 3 may have a, a title on there if you have little, little titles for the sections in your Bible. And it'll say something like the fall of man or something like that, Adam and Eve's sin, whatever. It's something like this. Now, when we're going through that, remember what happens? You know, you have Eve, and she sees the fruit. She's tempted by 
the devil here in the form of a serpent. And, and so she, she goes and she, she looks at this fruit. It looks good. She tastes the fruit. And then what does she do? She gets Adam. Adam does the same thing. Their eyes are opened. And what is the first thing that they realize when their eyes are open? They look at each other. And how embarrassed are they? They are naked. Um, and so that, that's, and we get that. But of course, you know, they're, they're a married couple. And so this may not be as awkward as uh, one might think. But then furthermore, uh, they decide, you know, we, we need to clothe ourselves. And so it says in the scriptures that they made aprons of skin. And, and there are some um, uh, variations as to what they think had happened here. Uh, and it's probably the case that they are just covering themselves and, and what might be like a loincloth. Uh, maybe they had something uh, covering the chest. But it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because when it boils down to it, they know that they're still not clothed properly because when, when God comes, they hear him coming, and what happens? They hide themselves. They hide themselves, and then uh, God, of course, he, he's infinite in knowledge, knows everything. He asks them what they're doing. They're hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, because we were naked. Now, he asks them questions, you know, probes them. Well, how did you know that you were naked? And they go on. Now, the, the interesting thing, if you've got your Bibles and you look at Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, uh, it shows that, that God makes them coats of skin. And uh, this, the Hebrew word mentioned here is um, uh, some, as a matter of fact, I believe that uh, the King James says tunic of skin. I believe that's what it says. One of the translations there uh, says that. Uh, but uh, what is this coat of skin? Well, the, the Hebrew word uh, mentioned here is a, a long shirt-like garment, generally with sleeves that covered, and this is uh, speci speaking specifically in this context, it says that covered Adam and Eve from their shoulders to their knees. And if you'd like to know basically what that looked like, it looked about like this to some degree. It was something that would have covered down from the neck uh, down to the knees. Uh, when you think about modesty or nakedness, this has been a, a part of God's moral standard and has not changed and we can continue to see this throughout the scriptures. Now, I want you to uh, note some things with me also. Look at Exodus chapter 28 and verse 42. It says, And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover the flesh of their nakedness. From the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. Now, this I, I think this is going to still be pretty small up here. But this, this very first picture and probably many of you can't see this, but the very first picture shows uh, what this garment would have looked like. And it is a, an undergarment, much like uh, a very long style of, of uh, maybe something that we would akin to like boxers, uh, that they would go down and they would go down almost to the knee. 
And, and this is what would have been uh, worn at the time by these priests. Now, Easton's Bible Dictionary describes linen breeches as an article of clothing covered from the waist to a little above the knee. So I'm not making this up. This is what we know about it from the scriptures, uh, from uh, a study of the original languages, from a study of history. We know that this is what it was. Now, moving on, look at Exodus 20 and verse 26 with me. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not uncovered thereon. Now, why is this important? Now, going back, this would give us a little bit more understanding of what we just looked at. So um, when you look at this, this uh, uh, the leg, uh, and, and we're going to get to this in just a moment here, uh, but uh, the leg, part of the leg was considered naked. And this linen breeches that they wore didn't cover completely the nakedness. And so what you have to do, you had to wear this other garment on top and that would cover it up. Now, when you think about the style of, of clothing that they would wear, uh, of course, you know, going back to this picture, you can, you can tell how long that garment is. But what happens to a person if they are walking up steps? You know, this is, uh, if they walk up steps, what are they gonna do? Well, you know, that, that uh, dress-like uh, fabric would, would uh, fly up a little bit. And if somebody were standing uh, to, the, to the, the side of some steps, they would easily be able to see and they would uh, be, uh, this priest's nakedness would be exposed in this area. Now, if you have a ramp, it doesn't do the same thing. You know, you're still walking, but you're walking at a gradual rate and, and it does not do the same thing. Now, moving on, Isaiah, in Isaiah 47 and verse 3, uh, it talks about this idea a little bit more. It says, the nakedness, thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take uh, vengeance and spare no man. And this, in the context, is talking about the thigh. It says, the thigh uh, uh, is going to be uncovered here. And, and when you look at the, the passage in its entirety, uh, this is showing that uh, in order to escape uh, from people, that, that people are going to have to uh, take up, these women are going to have to take up their garments, and they're going to have to hike it up to be able to cross over the rivers. And at that point, you know, their nakedness is going to be revealed. They're going to be exposing the thigh. And, uh, and so... Uh, what does that mean in all of this? Well, we know immediately here that this means that the thigh is nakedness. And so we need to be covering that up. The thigh is nakedness. Now, where does the thigh go down? The, the thigh uh, starts at the hip and goes down to the knee. So when we see all that in the scripture, we know that that needs to be covered. Now, continuing on. Uh, though we, we've covered that so many times. I want to make sure people see these things for themselves. But going back to 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9, it says, In like manner that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with uh, shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly raiment. Now, uh, a lot of times people will look at this and just point out, well, look, it's just talking about not drawing attention to themselves. 
and and yes, that is definitely a part of it. You know, um, uh, a uh, a woman should not come into the assembly uh, and be dressed in such a way that uh, she is drawing attention to herself. That that is definitely a part of this. Uh, but the word modest still is here and uh, still means some things. Uh, the word apparel. Uh, is from a Greek word that means to send down. And when you think about how one would have put on a garment in those days, it was ba basically a giant shirt-like garment. And how would you do that? Well, you would slip that on over your head and you would send it down your body. Now, uh, Thayer's actually points out that this is not um, in this realm of modesty. It doesn't mean to send up, but it means to send down, to cover down. Now, some of the Greek women uh, wore their robes open on each side with a slit basically going up. And uh, they, uh, they did this from the bottom up above the knee as to discover a part of the thigh. These were termed discoverers of the thigh, but it was in general only worn by the young girls or immodest women. Um, and that's that's really all that they did. This is this is um, was not an acceptable practice uh, among uh, religious people. This was basically thought to be those that would wear uh, these types of clothing. Those were loose women. And that was the idea. In John chapter 21. Now this is important for all of us, uh, you know, guys especially because this really hints more towards the guys. Uh, but in John 21, verse 7, it says, That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, saith unto people, Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his coat about him, for he was naked, and cast himself into the sea. So he had taken off his outer cloak. I've had uh, people that have um, argued uh, with me about this one uh, because they'll say, well, it says that he was naked. Now, when you hear the word naked, we have seen already that um, the word naked does not have to mean completely nude. Matter of fact, when we're talking about this idea of modesty and nakedness goes along with it, uh, you are either naked or you're not in the eyes of the Lord. There's really no in-between. If you uncover the thigh, it is nakedness. Here, what is going on is Peter is not in the boat, and he is just completely naked. That's not what's going on. I don't think anybody would want that. If uh, you had that for a fishing buddy, you would say, I'm going to find another fishing buddy. You know, that's not what's going on here. What you got is you've got um, the same thought process as he's got an undergarment on, and what is happening here is he's, it would be like modern times wearing some shorts and not having a shirt on. And so whenever they're coming back to shore, when they see Jesus, they're going to come back to shore. What does he do? He basically is putting on his shirts. He is making sure that he's clothed. So we see two things. First, we see that the thigh is nakedness, and you got to keep that covered. Second, we see that the upper torso is nakedness, and that needs to be covered. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman on either one of those things needs to be covered. I think this is kind of funny because um, in time past when I've taught this subject, um, I've, I've had lots of women that got upset because uh, they're, they'd be like, well, you know, you know, women are the ones who are wearing short shorts and you're basically just calling women out. 
Not so anymore. I have found that there are a whole lot of guys who need to be reminded what it means to be a guy and maybe wear some pants because, man, they're wearing short shorts themselves now. And uh, I'm telling you what, uh, I cannot wait for that to pass. Uh, But, you know, this is for both men and women. This is important. This covering up nakedness is the same for it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You got to do it. It's both. All right. So here's a question. Can apparel identify one's heart? And I think the obvious answer to that is, well, yes, but how? How does that happen? Look at Proverbs 7 and verse 10. It says, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and wily of heart. So what does that mean? That that means you can dress the part, can't you? Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll joke with uh, people if uh, if someone doesn't uh, normally wear a suit and then they wear a suit on Sunday morning and I'll, I might joke with them and say, oh, are you uh, are you preaching today? You know, something like that. Are you are you ready to preach? You look like you're ready to preach. And uh, just saying what you look the part. Right. Um, well, that's kind of the same thing going on here. This uh, person is wearing the attire of a harlot. What do you think the attire of a harlot is? What do you think that would be? You know, it is an attire that would be sexually provocative. Right. And showing that a person is trying to get people and lure them in. Now, um, you think about this, and there are some pretty big consequences that we need to remember about uh, this idea of, of dressing and how we should look at people and how we should dress and all this. Now, think about Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28. It says, Ye have heard that it was said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that everyone that looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So, of course, from this we know men should not be looking uh, at, uh, uh, at women uh, to lust after them. You know, of course, there's a saving his own wife. We understand that. But we, we know that men should not be looking at women in this way. We also see um, uh, in uh, Luke 17 and uh, verse 1, it says, And he said unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that occasions of stumbling should come. But woe unto him through whom they come. So keeping this in the context of what we're talking about, we know that not only should men not be looking, but how should women be dressed if they're Christians? Should they be dressed like the world or should they be dressed in modest apparel that is going to present everybody around them that they are godly? And of course, we know what the end result of that is. You know, if you are dressed immodestly and you cause someone to stumble, you have a responsibility in that matter. Now, if you are dressed immodestly, or if you you're dressed modestly, and you you could cause someone to stumble, uh, 
but that's not your fault. If you're dressed modestly and someone looks at you to lust, that's not your fault, that's their fault. But if you're dressed improperly, you're not dressed modestly, then you have some fault in the matter. Now, uh, I've thought about this a lot. If, if a person is dressed immodestly and you could cause someone to stumble, that really shows where a person's heart is. You know, because they, that, that person does not care about lost souls. They don't care about letting, leading other people astray. Now, maybe someone uh, could be ignorant in that, and now, now that we're hearing this lesson, that cannot be the case anymore. You cannot say, oh, I've been ignorant of this. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing this ignorantly. No, 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 not now. But this is kind of a selfish act when you think about it. You know, a person might think, "Why? Well, I, I, you know what? I want to look cute. I want to, I want to wear this because I think this looks nice." But you know what? If this, this is not a a an outfit that is according to what we have seen is is a modest apparel, then it shouldn't be worn. It shouldn't be worn at all. Now, uh, I know, I know that um, uh, I have heard a lot of times. Um, uh, people talking about, uh, well, you know, look, our society is is showing, um, you know, that that this is the way that we dress, and they they have all these uh, excuses, and they'll say, well, society set, you know, shows this is how we dress, and and um, and they they will also say, well, I can't go to the store and find anything, and you know, I don't know why it is. I even sometimes. Uh, have uh, problems in this when finding t-shirts because I'm not a size small or medium, you know, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, when you buy a shirt, and this is both men and women, and, and I know it's worse for women, uh, but for some reason, uh, some shirts, when they are extra, extra large or something like that, and you need a bigger shirt, for some reason, they think that you need a massive neck hole for whatever reason. And they have these basically scoop necks for every t-shirt you buy. And I'm thinking, my head, you know, I might be overweight, but my head's not overweight. I don't understand this. Why is it that they, my cranium doesn't get bigger because I've gotten more weight. So I don't understand uh, that thought process. So it, it may be hard sometimes to find things that are right and good to wear, but we know that we need to do that. And sometimes even uh, you might think, and I want to kind of make mention of this because sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm going to, I want to get rid of all stuff. I want to go and, and give it to goodwill. And yeah, you know, that's probably not even the right thought to have. Why? You know, if you're getting rid of something immodest and you're going to go take it to goodwill, What's going to happen? Someone's going to buy it and go dress immodestly. So what is it that we should do? Well, we should just get rid of it. Now, do I have any biblical example for that? Actually, we do. If you look at Acts chapter 19 with me, you know, speaking of, um, of some uh, things that are wrong, you know, would, would we consider witchcraft to be wrong, sorcery to be wrong? yes. In the first century, they knew that this was wrong. So what do they do? Acts 19 
and verse 19 it says, And not a few of them practiced magical arts, brought their books together, and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So what did they do? They had something contrary to God, and they took those things and they burned them. Now, um, I, I got I to gotta point some things out here. You know, do you think that they could have sold this? I, I bet you there's a lot of people even today that would say, why did they do that? 500,000 pieces of silver? That has to be a lot of money, right? And you're right, it is a lot of money. I was trying to get a good estimate here about what this would be. And uh, I think a decent conservative estimate about how much money this was at the time was upwards to a million dollars worth of books in today's currency. So think about that. They have these, these books of the magical arts, and what do they do? They, they burn them. Said, this is, this is wrong. We're not going to go and sell them. We don't want anybody else to practice this stuff. They took what they had, and they burned it. Now, uh, of course, you know, um, yeah, I'm not saying, hey, let's, let's go have uh, a, a burning party here, and all of us get together and uh, throw it. But you know what? Get rid of it. You know, if you've got something that is immodest and it cannot be altered in any sort of way to become modest, then get rid of it. Now, I wanted to kind of make mention of some uh, important things as we uh, continue to, to, to look at. There's some... Uh, some big problems here in the church, and you know this is going on everywhere. And I know that my father-in-law he has uh, preached on this subject for a lot longer than I have, and and he mentioned this. He said the only reasons I can think of that a man would allow his family to dress immodestly and visit sinful environments are. He enjoys the atmosphere himself and will sacrifice his wife and children to feed his lust, or he is not man enough to stand up to his wife and family and insist they dress godly. Neither makes sense for a normal thinking spiritual man. You know, in, in time past, culture uh, thought, um, you know, thought in a modest to expose calves and ankles, you know, we've heard of those times, right? Matter of fact, uh, if you ever go up to uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, and you want to go and, and see where Alexander Campbell uh, taught, it's just across from, uh, really not far, it's uh, almost across the street from uh, the college where he taught. And if you go, you'll see that there's different entrances for men and women uh, so that, you know, people don't, you know, see another person's ankles, and, and even, even so, uh, there were divided pews, divided pews for uh, men and women to uh, sit on either side, and it is, uh, it is interesting. That, that is a time uh, long gone, right? But what is the answer in that regard? So if culture dictates that we must cover more than what God says, we follow it, to save those who do not understand the truth. So if we go and we follow culture, 
if that's how we save people. And it's just asking for more than what God said. We know the truth, but we're going to follow that. That, that. There's another side of this. If society says a person is modest by wearing less than God commands, then what? We must obey God rather than men. Now, somebody might say, you know what? This, this doesn't really affect me. You know, um, and they, they'll, they'll take this, and, and so many people of the past have said, you know, that immodesty really is based on lust. And that's just not the case. We've proven from the scriptures today that there is a standard here. We must follow the standard. It's not about lust. If it were about lust, um, we would have a whole lot of questions, a whole lot more problems. There would be no standard. Uh, why? Well, there are a few reasons for that. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 2, Through the hypocrisy of men that speak lies, branded in their own conscience, as with a hot iron, it is possible for our conscience to be seared, for us to not be as affected by things as we once were. And so that would uh, be an impossibility because somebody would say, well, I'm, I'm not going to lust after that. That's not enough for me to lust. And um, if that, that were the case, it really doesn't matter because we know that there is a standard. Also, Jeremiah 6 in verse 15, it says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith Jehovah. So we need to remember that just because something doesn't bother us, it doesn't make it right. Just because we're not bothered by something doesn't make it right. And we are all judged by the same standard, according to John chapter 12 and verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You know what? We need to be pure. We need to pursue righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, not at all meaning with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous and extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. If we cannot be around unrighteousness, we're going to have to leave the world. Now, that doesn't mean we choose to be around unrighteousness, that we choose to see these things. In Job 31 and verse 1, Job says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. How then should I look upon a virgin? And then there's another thought here, and that is, well, you know what? My sport necessitates that I wear this outfit. And, of course, the Olympics over the past several years, uh, this has been a big problem. Uh, I don't watch the Olympics at all. I just don't care. But, um, you know, but the thing is, is that I know that they are not dressed modestly. And evidently, it's gotten worse over the last few years. I've heard people saying that. And, um, and some of the athletes have spoken out and said, uh, there is uh, a sexualization of athletes here, and, and this has got to stop. We've got to be able to stop this. But I want to say this, that if any activity calls for a person to violate God's commands, then a Christian should not participate in it. Now, I know that you probably um, haven't heard a whole lot of preachers preach on the subject quite like 
I've been preaching on the subject. And so um, I want to bring up something, and this will be uh, uh, kind of the, the end of this lesson, but I wanted to bring this up uh, so you'd know uh, that uh, yours truly is not the only one who would say these things. And that there are other people that are saying uh, very much the same thing. Now, uh, I'll give you a little context here. Um, I, uh, my, my father-in-law had uh, written an article about this years ago, and uh, I borrowed from this. I actually called him up and asked him um, some questions concerning how uh, he, he did this. But um, uh, he, uh, in his article, he says this, uh, Is there a faithful gospel preacher among us? who would defend the modern-day swimming attire in the beach environment? As a younger preacher in my early 30s, several men who defended this attire and atmosphere challenged me. So people saying, hey, it's fine to go to the beach. It's fine to wear, you know, immodest clothing and be in this type of environment. Uh, this is what they, they were saying, that it's okay. Um, he said, they considered me still green and wet behind the ears. These Spiritually minded brethren believe we should teach modest attire, but we should not give examples of what is immodest or identify environments that promote, promote immodest attire. They were convinced that if I were to consult older, more seasoned preachers concerning the subject, I would learn that I was only preaching my opinion. Without hesitation, I agreed and wrote several well-known gospel preachers. I informed them of the situation and asked of their input considering my conclusions. Here are excerpts from their replies. Garland Elkins from the Memphis School of Preaching wrote, you are on solid and safe scriptural ground when you oppose immodesty. The Bible certainly teaches that immodesty is sinful. There are many defenders of immodesty, but there is no defense. Of course, the activity of swimming is not wrong, but the scant bathing suits and near nudity are indeed wrong. It is wrong to expose one's nakedness, whether in a bathing suit, shorts, or a dress, etc. It is proper to give examples of immodesty. I hope you know that name, right? Garland Elkins, you know that. Um, uh, e. Claude Gardner, president emeritus of Freed Hardeman University, wrote, Some may believe that they can participate in mixed swimming without consequences, but their participation may become a stumbling block to others. Buster Dobbs, editor of the Firm Foundation, wrote, Shamefacedness helps define the word modest. It means, among other things, bashful. A person who is timid, shy, and easily embarrassed will not expose as much flesh as the average bathing suit bears. Someone asked the question, if today's swimming attire is modest, how much more would a person have to take off to be immodest. Your position on this question is doubtless correct. Leroy Brownlow, minister, you probably have one of his books. Leroy Brownlow, minister, writer, and publisher wrote, we know that we are considered, uh, that we are considered a command, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 9, and we know that the purpose of the command is to apply it and control the conduct of an individual. Why have a command if you don't apply it? Yet, there are those who don't object to preaching 1 Timothy 2.9, if you don't apply it. But if a preacher does not help the people to apply a command, what is his job? Robert Taylor Jr., minister and writer, wrote, You are right in what you preached, 
and they should hold higher hands. You are right to name mixed swimming as a specific example of a modest dress. The families there who participate in such should give it up promptly. Such is not becoming a Christian. Johnny Ramsey, minister and teacher for the Brown Trail School of Preaching, wrote, I agree with you 100%. What you said and the application made are needed everywhere. We must apply what we preach on any subject and certainly on modesty in these wicked and worldly days. As a side note, uh, Brother Ramsey wrote this on a postcard and said, I could have answered this under the spot where the stamp is located. Said, this is such an easy thing that it doesn't need much of an answer. Hardeman Nichols wrote, thus with the two terms, modest and shamefacedness, this scripture commands modest apparel from a modest heart, which is rooted in a character that considers the effect of a Christian's dress upon others and would always restrain a good person from an unworthy act or appearance. In the light of the language, I believe a mature heart must reach the conclusion that the type of dress and the close proximity of both sexes in the general setting of mixed swimming is forbidden by Christians. I would not be surprised if some good people do not know how to apply the principles of the Bible to many specific cases of immodesty. Since we live in such an immodest age, it would be easy for one's sensibilities to be dull. Does the scanty attire associated with uh, swimming where both sexes are present war against my soul or the souls of others? I think the answer is obvious. Then God begs us to abstain from that attire that, God, uh, that goes for both male and female alike. David Farr, I believe we pass out a lot of his books here. David Farr. Minister, writer, past director of the East Tennessee School of Preaching wrote, in summary, of course, you are right in warning against swimming suits or anything else which provoke lust. There are times when such things need to be specifically named. Um, I hope you know this name, but Perry Cotham, he's gone to be with the Lord. But Perry Cotham, minister, writer, missionary wrote, I realize in our days of loose morals, Many do not have much modesty, and this is true. Many members of the church, the scanty covering of the new ladies' bathing suit uh, would, to me, not be very modest. I do not know of any good, faithful gospel preacher who would condone or endorse such a practice. What about B.P. Black? B.P. Black, a very solid uh, preacher in Alabama. Uh, he uh, has gone on to his reward as well. The Bible has much to say about, mod uh, about modesty. We are living in an age when the world looks upon modesty as a joke. We as children of God should look upon modesty in the light of the world, the word of God, and not in the light of the world. There is nothing, uh, there's not anything wrong uh, with giving examples. And then Winford Clark, elder minister, author, wrote, as to the matter of modesty, there can be no doubt that mixed swimming, males and females, would violate the teaching of 1 Timothy 2.9. If a swimsuit would, swimsuit would be uh, not be immodest by Paul's definition, then it would be hard to find a garment that would be called immodest. I am sure you know that Thayer defines apparel as a lowering, a letting down, a garment let down. It seems that the background would be 
that of ladies who went into the fields to work and would raise their dresses and fold them into something like a belt or girdle. Thus Paul would speak of the lowering of the garment to cover the nakedness thus exposed. One would surely have a difficult time lowering the modern uh, attire used for swimming. Now, I want to make mention of something else. Now, I called up my father-in-law. I asked him about all these uh, these examples, these, these uh, letters that he got from the preachers. And I said, how many of those did you send out? And he said, um, I sent out 20. And I said, well, did anybody respond in the negative? And he said, one did. That was Rubel Shelley. Now, if you don't know who Rubel Shelley is, Rubel Shelley at one time taught the truth. And he taught it fervently and since has fallen away and gone into error. 19 of these men taught the truth and one did not. That shows you what company you have based on what you believe about what we just taught. And I tell you what, I want to be on the right side of things. I don't want to be on, uh, on any sort of side with error. And I know that the temptation is to, to give excuses for this, but don't give an excuse. Just accept what the Word of God says, apply it to your life, and just be faithful. Because this is sin, and we've got to take sin seriously. Brethren, I hope that uh, you've learned something this morning. Uh, maybe it is that you've not yet become a child of God, and you want to make that right today, and want to become a child of God, we'd love for you to do that. And you have to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized into Christ. But if you have uh, already done that, and you have not been living right, you also have an opportunity to make things right with God. Whatever the case, if there's someone here that needs to respond to the invitation, please come as we stand as we sing.